0: Glad that you're here with us. Uh, my name is Rob Gray. If you're if you're a visitor here, I'm the pastor here at CCPC, and we have just embarked on a new series last week uh, in uh, Peter's first epistle, and we unpacked just the very first two verses. Uh, we noticed how much was in those two verses. Uh, just a greeting, um, and how this group of uh, Christians on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, this motley crew of believers, uh, are on a journey pilgrims, if you will, sojourners uh, heading to the eternal kingdom, and how that's all of us, uh, each one of us. And so we're going to continue that theme, that, that God is equipping us, he's given us grace and he's given us peace uh, for that journey, and we're going we're to delve into that grace this morning. We're, we're going to take a, a few verses, again, we're going to look at verses 3 to 5, so one more verse than last week, but I think you'll notice how dense uh, these verses are, and so with that, let's let's turn to First Peter chapter one verses three to five. First Peter one, three to five. Hear God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And the very next verse, which isn't printed for you, begins with these words, In this you rejoice. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would uh, open our hearts to your word. We thank you for it. We ask that you would show us Jesus in the text. Uh, We ask this in his name. Amen. I think there are often two ways, if you will, of looking at the world. Um, Maybe this is a bit reductionistic, and I I realize we, at various times, will find ourselves in some spectrum of this or vacillating between these things, but I think there are sort of two basic perspectives as we look at the world around us. The first is to look at life and the world around us and to lose heart. Uh, Maybe you are the pessimist. This is you. The glass is half empty. Um, And you don't have to look very hard to find reasons for this kind of losing heart or despair, do you? Uh, We can click on the news headlines. We can scan Facebook posts. We can look at our Twitter feeds, whatever. Uh, And for some of you, the current events are enough to cause you to despair. (laughs) Throw up your hands and say, what's it all for? What's it all about? Um, But it isn't just what's going on out there that can cause us to lose heart, is it? Often it's what's going on in our own lives, in our own relationships. The mess that attends to our work and to our school and to our family, is often enough for us to lose heart. And, and if it isn't the mess of our relationships and our work and our home life, then it's looking inside of ourselves that causes us to lose heart, isn't it? Our sin, our sense of inadequacies, our helplessness. This can make us feel hopeless, hopeless. So this is, this is one perspective. Um, and what happens? What happens w- when you have this kind of glass half empty personality? I think most commonly it leads to a form of cynicism. Uh, that's maybe the most common uh, reaction. You just kind of become a cynic. But it can express itself in so many other ways as well. Um, destructive ways lead to all sorts of Uh, destructive things like alcohol or drug abuse or you might engage in risky behaviors just to numb the pain of life. It's what hopelessness does. But it can also be very hard to detect if somebody is feeling this kind of of hopelessness. Uh, Constantly busying oneself and working to the bone is a way to avoid thinking about it. Are you like that? As soon as something is stops and you're settling down, all the anxieties of life and worries of life come upon you. And you're like, well, I just got to work harder, do more, be more active. It's kind of hopelessness. Some of you don't work to the bone. Instead, you amuse yourself. <laughs> just keep going from one amusement to the next until, you know, you just can kind of numb the world. Just kind of. Keep that feeling going, one thrill after another. We we do that to mask that feeling of hopelessness. But then there's the half full crowd. I don't want to leave you guys out. I know there are those. I am not. I'm not necessarily one. Sometimes maybe, but there are those out there in the world and around that find hope everywhere. It's a uh, life is just a challenge uh, and a problem to solve. It's an opportunity for growth. Each day holds promise, and the world around you is like a giant oyster full of hope and promise. You know, and and the person who is like this oftentimes strives fast and furious. And we all fall on a spectrum, or we vacillate, as I already noted. Uh, I tend towards the first. I tend to think of myself as a realist, not a pessimist, right? That's what we call ourselves. I'm not an idealist, but even I can find myself hoping in the next thing, the next adventure. And the problem is that as we pursue life, if you're an optimist and you're pursuing life with all the gusto and the promise that it offers, how often does it underdeliver? And then that sends me back to my dark side and I become cynic again, right? <laughs> You see, the problem with both perspectives, with the optimist or the pessimist whose hope is set on this world, is that in the end, it never fully measures up. It never satisfies. And that's what we can say why. It's, there's the brokenness of the sin of this world and, and all the mess of the fall that, that the world has created, thistles and thorns, Right? Thistles and thorns, the the hardness of life in both our sinfulness and just our humanness and weakness. We need a different horizon, a different perspective. We need somewhere to fix our eyes. And Peter here in verses 3 to 5 gives us such a horizon. What I have called already in my previous sermon and other sermons, a horizon of hope. And in a nutshell, that horizon is Christ himself. That's the horizon, Christ. Oh, and we'll look at this in a minute. But the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says it this way. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. Right? Doing what? Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's the horizon that I want us to focus on this morning. For I believe that it is our hope in Christ that enables us to face the reality of life and all its messiness and all its highs and all its deep, deep lows. Friends, Jesus is your living hope. We will look at this in three ways. Jesus is our living hope in three ways. First, Jesus is our our new life. Secondly, Jesus is our living hope. And finally, Jesus is our future glory. That's where we're headed. Jesus, our new hope. The Apostle Peter begins this section with a blessing. A lot of blessings come from God to God's people. We do this every, every uh, service. At the end of the service, I will give you a benediction, a blessing from the Lord. But here... Peter blesses the Lord. What does that mean? Does he, does he give something that God doesn't have already? I, I don't think so. It isn't as if Peter himself gives to God goodness or or blessing with his words in that God was lacking something. But he's declaring a reality. The Lord is blessed. The Lord is full of goodness. For Peter to do this, it's an expression of Peter's Praise and thankfulness to, the, to God. Peter is about to tell us the wonders of salvation. And so he begins by praising and blessing the Lord from whom this salvation comes. That's what he's doing. He's saying, he's getting excited and he's saying, the Lord bless the Lord, the one to whom all, from whom all blessings flow. Salvation. He is the blessed one. And this salvation from God is all of mercy. It is, in that sense, contra what we truly deserve. And yet he gives it to us freely. So what is the nature of this mercy of God? The text says that he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to examine this concept a little bit of being born again. We looked at this in the book of Deuteronomy. We talked about that need uh, for new hearts. Uh, Do you remember at the end of Deuteronomy that all the blessings and curses and the failures of Israel and the future failures of Israel and Moses sort of concludes with this comment? He says, I will I will write my law in your hearts. I will transform your heart. Your heart will obey." This is this promise, this declaration. Um, Ezekiel picks this up and we read it in our in one of our texts this morning. This idea of new hearts. Being transformed. Our fundamental problem is that apart from Christ, apart from Christ, we are not truly living. It's a radical statement in some ways, right? You all are sitting before me as living beings, right? You walk, you talk, you eat, you breathe, you are alive. You feel, you touch, you taste, you think, you're alive, you have all those senses. But we're like dead men walking. And here's the problem. We look for life, apart from Christ, we look for life because of that feeling of Something not being quite right. We look at the world around us and say, well, if I go after this or I go after this, I'll get life. Life will be granted to me. If I just attain this level of education or if I just get this job or if I just have this perfect family or whatever it is. If we go after these things, we feel like we will gain life. We're all looking for it. Something to give us purpose. And at some point, we'll all ask that question. Why? Why am I here? What's it all worth? What's the meaning of this? And each of us answer. We all, we all try, anyway. We all try to find answers. We look at the world, and we set our hope for life on different things that don't satisfy. Jobs cannot give us life. They give us joy at times. And a sense of accomplishment as we exercise the gifts that God has given to us. And we reflect in some measure our image bearing of God. But they don't give us life. That's not where life is from. Our children cannot give us life. They give us joy immeasurable. Most of the time. They give us joy immeasurable. And they cause us to wonder and marvel. But they ultimately cannot give us life. Our spouses, our significant others, cannot give us life. Our communities, our friends, our achievements cannot give us life. White picket fences and big houses and stable jobs cannot give us life. That is not what life is. It's not defined by that. Community service and benevolence, as good as it is, as wonderful a thing as it is for us to do, doesn't give life. In the end, these things fade. Solomon said it well when he said he called these things vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. He pursued it all. Solomon had it all. He had everything. Vanity of vanities. As Jesus says in the Gospel of John to Nicodemus, we must be born again, born from above. That's where life comes from. And this being born again changes our horizon of hope from the things of the world to the things of God. It doesn't remove us from the world. We continue in the world, and we work in the world, and we enjoy the world, but it isn't our life. The horizon changes. If you spend any time on a boat in the ocean, you know, I've got to get these, in. it's summertime, I'm starting to think about being on a boat. Um, If you ever spend enough time on the ocean, you will eventually encounter fog. Uh, Fog, without proper equipment, and even with proper equipment, can make you lose all sense of direction. If you've ever been in this situation, you know what it's like. You have no clear view of the horizon. In fact, your sense like, I have a very keen sense of north, south, east, west. When I'm in fog, it all disappears. It's completely gone. One time, uh, my, my dad and I, I and mean, my family I, I, were on a boat in the fog, and we, had, we got one point of reference. And if you know, there's a type of thing called dead reckoning. You can kind of work out how to get from point A to point B. And so we're there with the charts trying to get this point of reference. And all of a sudden, the fog sets in, and we think we have our point of reference. And, you know, all we have is a compass and this chart, and we can't see anything and we're going along pretty quick and all of a sudden we start hearing the crashing of waves that's not a good sign <laughs> and all of a sudden as out of the mist comes a rock you know quickly pull back on the, on the engine you know, and then we're like well what rock is this and now we have a new point of reference but we don't know what it is so we kind of maneuver our way now we're going really slow put, 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 hoping no other boats come along, run into us but then, all of a sudden, we come up past the fog bank, and it was like the heavens just kind of cleared away. It was like a, it was like a movie. And there was the sun and the, the, the horizon, and we could see where we were heading, and we knew where we wanted to go, and we're driving along in the beautiful, calm sea, and there behind us, is the, in our wake, is a seal. It was like something out of a movie. Being born again is like the fog lifting. And a clear vista appearing before you. And the vista is Jesus Christ. How do you know? How do you know you're born again? <laughs> I often talk to folks who are wrestling through faith and what it means to have faith or to be born again. And is it a feeling in us? Or is it a religious experience that you had of the sense of God? Um, It often includes those things. It does. It often includes those things. But at its core, we know we are born again and have new life because Jesus rose from the dead. It's not simply a vague notion or an experience, it is the concrete reality that Jesus was crucified, that he was buried, that from that place of the dead he conquered death itself and rose. Notice in the text, it says, born again to a living hope, which we'll come back to in a minute, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the horizon. That's the clear skies. To see and know that the Lord Jesus is risen. And he has ascended on high and he reigns and he is coming again. Our new life is through his resurrected life. And apart from the resurrection, there is no hope. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Because if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ is not, uh, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. The resurrection... Jesus Christ. That is the fundamental thing. And he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We are the rest of the fruit. Friends, that's our hope. The hope is in the resurrection. Friends, you are born again not by your doing, not by the will of man, but by the mercy of God and the powerful working of the Spirit through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you want a hope that is not a wish, but a true living reality? Put your hope in Christ, the resurrected Lord. Believer, do your eyes wander from that horizon of sure hope in the resurrected Lord to the things of this earth? Believer, if that's you, you you, you put yourself like a ship in a fog, lost and hopeless. Have you ever been there as a believer, wandering, wondering, why do I feel so hopeless Fix your eyes on the resurrected Lord. But in the middle of this verse, it says that we're not just born again from death, but we are born again to a living hope. And this is my uh, second point that I want to look at this morning. So what does Peter mean by this living hope? On the one hand, he is reflecting on the new life that is ours through the resurrected Lord. As I've already said, our hope is not in the things that are passing away, but in the things that are eternal. Namely, Jesus, the Eternal One. And there is this future perspective that looks beyond the mess of the world and our life and all of its conundrums and problems and sorrows. And it's fixed on that future revelation, right? And, and in the depths of sorrow, when we're most broken and we're most worn out by the world... That future glory comes to the fore, doesn't it? You start to long for it. I'm going to come back to that future glory in just a minute. But I want to come back now to this other sense of this living hope. It's living now. It's a living hope now. As we fix our eyes on the horizon, on the future salvation and on Jesus himself, we have life now in this world. And I want us to consider the ways that this is true. First, our salvation is a reminder and life are by the mercy of God, by the power of the Spirit, through the resurrected Lord. The text says that we are, by God's power, being guarded through faith. What does that mean? Shielded, guarded through faith. Peter, uh, throughout this letter, draws from the experience of the Israelites in their time of wandering in the wilderness. This is the whole sort of imagery he's trying to pull out, that we are the people of God on this pilgrim journey to the promised land of glory. And part of that wandering for the people of Israel was extraordinarily difficult. At points, they were being chased by Pharaoh. At other points, they were facing armies or for, for. Famine and thirst and all sorts of things. It was difficult. But the people of God didn't need to fear. They didn't need to fear. The glory cloud went before them. Right? Can you imagine? God says, okay, I am with you. And I'm going to show myself to you in this massive pillar of fire by night, and this cloud, by day, and you're going to know that I'm with you and that I am protecting you. That I go before you in battle. That there's, there's nothing to fear. Friends, in Christ, you do not need to live in fear anymore. Firstly, you don't need to live in fear of God's wrath. Christ has satisfied the wrath of God for your sin you are cleansed you are forgiven but you also don't need to fear the world's rejection you are a citizen of another land one in which you will wear a crown of glory you are precious in God's sight you are a child of the most high And you are not defined by your failures or by your sins. You are defined by your Savior, Jesus. His life is your life. Not only do you not need to fear, but you don't need to strive. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, The world, friends, is a punishing place, isn't it? It is. It is. It's, it's striving. It's going after one thing after another and always competing. It's, it's the fear of being left in the dust and that you always feel like you're being measured and that you always need to perform. In Christ, you have a living hope, not based on your merits, but based on his work, his obedience, his death, his resurrection. Finally, Not only do you not need to fear, not only do you not need to strive, you don't need to despair. I opened with that talk of the despair that comes so quickly in our lives, but you don't need to despair. The things in this life, as wonderful as they are, as part of God's good creation, they're not ultimate. They're in a state of decay, but there's a day when all things will be made new. That means the work that we do, we can go with all gusto and joy because we know that as we, as we work out God's good gifts in our life, uh, as we do work, we're, we're, we're picturing the kingdom to come. And even if the things before us fall, we know that God is making them new again. in glory. The pain, the sorrow, the decay, the brokenness, the sin, the hurt. The grief, the failure, the strife, the warfare, all of it will be gone. The world will be made new. This brings me to my conclusion. Jesus is our future glory. Friends, we're born again to a living hope. It says here, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. Again, Peter is thinking about the people of God in their period of wandering in the wilderness. They were right headed toward the land of Canaan, the land of promise. We looked at this throughout the book of Deuteronomy. They were sitting on the plains of Moab. They had already come through this long journey and they were looking to that future home. The problem was as soon as the people of Israel stepped foot in the land of Canaan, it was defiled. Right? And we know for a fact that Israel attained the land, they, they conquered the people under David, they grew to a great nation under Solomon, and then everything started to fall apart. Right, So that by the end of the period of kings, the land was lost to them. Perished, so to speak. But here's the good news. Peter is looking back at those Old Testament pictures and saying those were just a foretaste, a shadow of what is imperishable. The glory that is to be revealed. The defilement that you experience in this life will be gone. You will be transformed. No more sin, no more hurt, no more disease, no more death. And this future glory where we will dwell secure with our Savior without blemish, pure and spotless as the bride is being kept for us in heaven. How is that possible? Well, because the Lord Jesus is there. The eternal one. The risen Lord, pure and holy is there. He is our inheritance. He is the imperishable one. He is the undefiled one. He is our living hope. Friends, where? Where do you put your hope? Where's your horizon? Are you, are you stuck looking at the world around you striving and fearful and wanting and longing and gaining and losing and struggling? Is that you? Do you find yourself there caught in the fog bank, so to speak? Christ. Has revealed Himself to you. Put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week we'll come back to that topic of faith, guarded by faith. Uh, we'll look at that in particular as we look at the testing of our faith uh, in this world. But for now, I want us to see Jesus, our future glory, our horizon of hope, and our new life. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, we. Thank